Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Fridays. I'm Taylor McGowan, Senior Wealth Design Specialist and Vice President at Altius Financial, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Williams, Founder and President of Altius Financial. Hey, everybody. Thanks for uh, listening to our podcast and, and sharing it. Yeah, welcome back. So today our episode is focusing on active versus passive investing. It seems like there's always debates in what works for investing. There seems like there's so many different options to choose from these days. And so I think part of our plan for today's podcast episode is to really debate, okay, well, active versus passive and kind of which works better, what do we think is the best strategy to look into. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of investment advice or financial planning. No client advisor relationship is formed by our broadcasting this information or your listening to it. The use of this information or any materials linked to in this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not meant as a substitute for professional financial advice. If you're needing specific advice for your situation, please reach out to your certified financial planner, or if you're interested in learning more about our firm, our people, or our philosophy, please reach out to us at our website, altiusfinancial.com, or you can reach us directly by email at michael at or taylor at I think we should really just start at kind of clarifying, I mean, what is active investing? What is passive investing? Do you want to dive into that a little? Yeah, it's always good to start by checking your premises. You know, that's, you know, start by sort of first principles. And it's important to understand that like almost anything else, investing has over, over time has many academics, you know, people who are studying investing. They're not necessarily practitioners themselves, or they might be, and they probably are. I mean, if you study investing, then you probably are trying to make some money too. But, but you have professors, you know, geeky guys who uh, do academic research on, on itself. And they're, they're trying to study it like any other field, like chemistry, or, or maybe it's, you know, maybe more appropriately like history or psychology, since investing's, you know, not maybe quite the hard sciences, uh, hard science that say, for example, chemistry or, or, uh, physics might be, but the, these guys, uh, these academics, uh, properly study and try to categorize things. You know, they're trying to identify, you know, what works, what doesn't work, what's this method of investing, what's a different kind. And what they mean by active investing is that the, the money manager, the person who's doing the investing is tracking the performance of an investment portfolio and making their own buy, hold, and sell decisions about the assets in it. And the, and the goal is usually or often to outperform some designated benchmark or index while at the same time probably, you know, um, reaching some additional goals like managing risk or, you know, uh, maybe allocating toward a, a specific industry or uh, a particular social goal. We've, we talked before on some of our podcasts about the ESG you know, environmental, social governance, investing, you know, meeting that kind of standard or as I say, limiting risk or, or tax consequences. That's, that's what an active manager is trying to do. They're trying to meet certain objectives by making buy and hold or sell decisions around actively around uh, those goals that they have. And, and sometimes the emphasis is put on, you know, trying to outperform some specific benchmark. Okay. Well, I mean, that makes sense. Trying to manage the risk 
look at the impact on taxes, trying to outperform. Um, but does that mean that if you're investing in these funds, are you being passive because you're trying to focus on someone else's active strategy? Well, that's that might question. not necessarily be the question you want me to ask right now, but it, it seems a little bit counterintuitive almost. No, I mean, and that's the thing is what, again, what does it mean to be active? Uh, passive, you know, that, that may be, it may be better to kind of contrast it against what a, what a passive investor is. And I'm not sure I'm answering your question, but um, you know, the, the, as I characterize active management, it, they're, they're making, you know, quote, active moves versus just trying to match an index. An active okay. manager says, I'm not going to just copy an index. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be active about this and I'm going to, I'm going to go out there and decide, okay, this is a good company to buy. This is a good stock. Here's a good industry. Uh, the passive manager is basically saying, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on. I want to match the performance of an index. And so that's where the research comes in. Cause there's, you know, there've been some really good studies over time about how well people do in their investments, whether they're professionals or, or not. Um, and originally, when people started investing in stocks, you know, they didn't think about it as active or passive. They just thought, okay, I'm buying stocks. I want to make money. Uh, in fact, they didn't even think about it you know, as buying stocks. They thought about it as, I'm going to become an owner, a part owner in a business, you know, an actual business that's operating. And, and as an owner, I want to get a return. And so, you know, as, as you've heard me say before, there's, there's this wonderful story to tell about how capitalism and you know investing in stocks and investing in other people's company uh, developed uh, so much more sophistication in an economy and div division of labor economy, you know, yeah. so that you know it's it's a it's a wonderful story to tell. You know. Yeah. Well, so do you want to dive a little more into that story, or <laughs> we could go into that story? You know, the if we talk about. Um, how people evolved as investors, you know, people, um, and we're, we're now going back to really sort of the late 1800s where stock investing became a thing in the U S for fairly small group of people. You know, there weren't mo most people in, in the U S didn't have on their mind, how do I make money in the stock market or how do I buy a business in the city? You know, how do I buy, buy a part ownership in the business in the city? They were thinking about, how do I feed my family on the farm? You know, at that time, uh, uh, ninety percent, you know, eighty, ninety percent of the people in in this country and around the world were basically working in agriculture and and basically subsisting, um, trying to make a living, scratch out a living themselves. And if they had surplus, if they had you know a bumper crop of corn or wheat, or if they had more cattle then they would try to sell those to other people. And that's, you know, that was sort of the barter economy. And, 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 but you didn't think about, okay, you know, how am I going to buy a piece of a company that makes uh, iPhones or, or even at that time, how am I going to buy a company that makes whiskey or how am I going to buy a piece of a company that makes, you know, these uh, wheels for my tractor or something like that. Um, yeah. But as, as you get more sophisticated in an, in an economy, that's where stock markets come in because they allow for capital allocation to be more efficient. You can you can have money go toward the most efficient businesses that need capital and they grow, um, and that's what makes them you know good to return capital. 
to get a return on your money. You, you know, when you're investing, it's, we sometimes say to people in our first meeting with them, you know, the simple thing about investing is, you know, you're putting money into something and you want it back. You know, yeah. you want to get your money back and you want some more. <laughs> so that's what we mean by return of your investment and a return on your investment. So that's, you know, the, the whole uh, development of uh, stock investing and then, um, you know, a more sophisticated economic situation. But lately now we have, you know, where people, uh, lots of people invest in stocks, often through uh, collective type pools like a mutual fund or in their 401k, a mutual fund or something like that. And then the question is, okay, well, should it be an active fund or should it be a more passive fund? And it's worth, you know, talking about um, what we mean by indexes or benchmarks, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is going off track from what you wanted to. <laughs> well, I think that clarifying the index, indexing a little bit for our listeners might be helpful to say, okay, here's how we differentiate a mutual fund that's maybe more active focused versus more passive focused. Cause maybe yeah, our probably. listeners might be sitting here going, well, I have mutual funds and I, I invest, maybe it's in my 401k and I invest into it actively every time I get paid. Does that make me an active investor? Well, that's a good point. In a sense it does. Cause they, I mean, they put it on autopilot, right? I mean, yeah. in a sense they're being passive about saying, they made an active decision to be an investor to say, okay, I'm going to have some of my, pay my paycheck that doesn't go toward consumption. I'm not going to consume it. I'm not going to buy stuff with it. I'm going to put it somewhere else. And I'm, I'm actively take, taking the action to say, okay, Mr. or Mrs. Employer um, or, you know, employment firm, take money out of my paycheck and then put it somewhere um, and put it into these mutual funds that you're allowing me to through the IRS code and all this, you know, 401k, blah, blah, blah. That is an active decision, um, although the government, and tell me, you got to interrupt me. <laughs> the government's now trying to make that less of an active decision, right? They're trying to say more and more, they're trying to make it so that when you take a new job, you yeah, automatically yeah. Get, get enrolled into a 401k. We're going to just have that be an automatic thing. So that's, that's treating you as, you know, an automaton and, and a passive person. You know, we know better from you, than you do what to do with your money. We're going to say, set some money aside. Now there's an argument for that, right? There are a lot of people who don't save enough and, and social security is going yeah. broke. And so we got to do something to make these poor schleps, make sure they save for retirement. But, uh, you know, that's a whole different thing as far as the forcing or auto enrollment type of thing, but it is an kind of decision. circling back. So for our listeners who might be saying, Hey, if I'm contributing to this every month, am I an active investor? And I think your answer is to an extent. It sounds like yeah, we can say the there's initial... different levels of active investing. Maybe you're, you are actively doing things, but maybe you're not a full-on active investor because you're not necessarily, maybe you're investing in passive things. Maybe your strategy is something that's being passive because you, it's a set it and forget it kind of investment strategy. Yeah. And that's why I was saying you're bringing up a good point because you are making an active decision, but that's not what we mean by active versus passive investing. I mean, once, once you've said, okay, I'm going to put money into something, I'm going to hire a money manager. And that's what you're doing. Even if you're putting money into a 401k, you're basically saying, okay, I'm going to give money to someone else to manage. Uh, the question then is what is their strategy? And, you know, I don't know, I can make these, these stories kind of long, but, you know, as markets developed, there was the invention of these indexes. And, and a lot of people, even though they hear about them all the time, they don't really know what the index is. I mean, the most common one that's the use 
uh, frequently is the Dow Jones Industrial Average, right? People talk about the Dow all the time. You, you yep. turn on the news and the Dow went up or they went down, and that's supposedly good news or bad news. But most people don't really have a clue as to why it's good or bad. You know, <laughs> they, they know maybe Wall Street people or people who are investing are losing money or making money if the Dow goes up or not, but they don't know, well, what is the Dow? What's in it? I mean, what does that mean? Well, it's it, it actually was started in the late 1800s and it was a collection of 12 stocks. So they were, you know, the company Dow Jones said, we're going to make this index to try to uh, both market stock investing. And to track, you know, how how the stock market itself is kind of doing. At that time, there were more than 12 stocks that were trading on the New York Stock Exchange. But they said, well, we're going to pick the top 12 ones or, you know, what we think are the top 12 ones, the biggest companies. And now today, it's actually 12. It's actually 30, I think. You know, there's there's 30 companies in the, in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. But that's an index, right? That's one index that you could say, all right, well, am I doing as well as the Dow Jones or those 30 companies? You know, why not just own those 30 companies? Why try to pick, you know, something that's outside of the Dow when I can just pick the Dow or pick those 30 companies? Well, for most people, it's not easy to even to, to just say, okay, I'm going to match the proportion of the Dow Jones companies. So you can, now they've invented ways to, you can buy basically the, the Dow or you're buying a representation of that index and you'll pretty much do as well as those 12 companies, you know, weighted properly uh, do. Um, and now there's literally hundreds or probably even thousands of different indexes, not just those 30 companies, but in the, in the case of the S&P 500, it's 500 companies. So you got, you got a much bigger, more diversified index. You know, there's the NASDAQ and there's Wilshire. There's all these different indexes out there. But the point about the passive indexing is that, you know, w am I trying to beat that index or am, am I trying to have uh, a investment results that are different than, you know, and in, in this case, we'll just use the Dow. Is it, am I trying to beat the Dow Jones industrial average? You know, or am I just trying to match it? And um, so the idea of passive investing is oftentimes equated or known as indexing. And it follows simple rules that try to track that index or some other benchmark that re replicates the index. And, and those, those people who advocate for this kind of approach passive investing, they, they maintain that the best results are achieved by, you know, just buying the assets that mirror that kind of market index. And, and they, their assertion, and there are studies that actually do support this, that passive investing, passive management removes many of the shortfalls of human biases or, or like pitfalls that we all have in terms of trying to think we're smarter than we are, right? Because an active manager is like thinking, you know, I'm smarter than the rest of the guys out there. Everyone else is buying, you know, Amazon today, but that's really stupid. I'm going to buy Apple or I'm going to make a different decision than the crowd. Um, and, and oftentimes that's what active management is designed to do is to be contrarian, to say, I'm going to do something different than the rest of the crowd. Uh, so it's that contention that, you know, we don't, we're not going to try to be that smart. Uh, it's more of a humble approach. Uh, to investing, saying I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I can't I can't beat the index, so I'm going to just uh, match it. I'll try to match it, even though I can't match it because the index is a theoretical thing. And for someone to actually invest your money that's matching the index, they want to get paid. So there's some cost associated with with actually putting together a, an index. So you can't exactly match it, but you can you can come pretty close. And that's one of the other parts to this whole scenario is that indexing especially because of technology and the advancement of the financial services industry in Wall Street, 
they can they can match an index pretty easily with a very low cost. You know, if you have a you have to pay a manager who supposedly is really smart, and if he is really smart, he wants to get paid really well. A more passive indexing approach is, you know, we don't need to pay these guys who think they're so smart. We're just gonna all we do is look at the index and say, well, we'll match it. Well, so then in the simplest terms, it I mean, we oftentimes talk with clients and say, well, how do you feel about risk? How do you feel about the market? Are you comfortable with gains? Are you, I mean, everyone's comfortable with gains, but are you comfortable with losses or what kind of risk you're comfortable with in your portfolio? And it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, but so the passive investors would be people who would say, well, I'm comfortable with whatever happens just as long as it happens to my neighbor. Is that, is that <laughs> that's, the, that's a good way to put it. I mean, <laughs> I mean as long as everyone true. else is in the same bucket. <laughs> Yeah, in one sense, it's like I'm going to match the market, and and I'll be and and the, the, so there's a couple of components to that. One is that, well, hey, the market's not bad. You know, if you look at if you look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the S and P 500, who've been around, both those have been around for a long time. You know, if you just write it out, if you just stick with them, they sort of do match this wonderful story that I talk about with regard to capitalism and the fact that. You know, life gets better. We we produce more wealth, and and you have this system that actually is, you know, is designed not necessarily by any one person, but it, by its sheer nature. You know, in terms of actually mutual beneficial relationship and trade, um, people. You know, going back to Adam Smith and all that kind of stuff, capitalism works, and and a a stock market, and therefore an index that sort of mirrors that wealth production uh, function. Uh, means you'll do great. You, you'll you'll over long periods of time you'll do great as an investor if you just match the index. If you just stick stick with the Dow. The problem is that there are time periods when that doesn't really work very well. It doesn't seem to work. You know, people who bought um, at the at you know at the top of the financial crisis, you know, 10, 12, 12, 14 years ago, if they were buying the Dow Jones Industrial Average or an index that matched it, they got their hat handed to them. They, you know, or, or if you bought in, you know, this is going back a, a few decades because of my experience, but, you know, if you bought in, in October of uh, 1987, you know, there was a big Black Monday crash. If a person bought in 1929, uh, you know, with, um, with the beginning of the Great Depression, um, they lost a lot of money and it took a long time to gain it back. So we have these time periods where the market gets really expensive, and we use this term, the market, like you know maybe the index, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, or or any particular stock or company gets really expensive, or a collection of stocks gets really expensive, and a person says, "Well, I'm just you know I'm just gonna I'll be comfortable with the long run, and I'll invest now because I don't know whether it's too high or too low," and then reality hits, you know the market does some kind of correction or crash, uh, where it's down significantly, down double digits or more, or even half off. And then they go, well, that didn't work. That was stupid. Why did I do that? And it, the, then they either hate the hate the stock market because they bought too high and, and didn't get the results that they were thinking of, or they hate their advisor who put them into that you know index thing, or they they lose patience. And it's partly a big part of its time horizon. You know, if if a person's thinking, yeah, I'm a long term investor. I'm going to invest for the next twenty years, but I'm now putting my money into an index portfolio. You know, again, say the Dow or the S and P, and it crashes. Then they become all of a sudden a short-term investor, and <laughs> yeah. that's the the human psychology part of it. And and most of the time, and this is what the academics have found. Um, and you know, there's there's all kinds of studies. Probably the most famous studies out there: are, uh, Fama and French. These are you know two two uh, 
uh, academics, uh, professors who, who studied, you know, how people do in terms of results and even not just, you know, average people, but professionals, professional money managers. And they're proving that, you know, the average professional money manager doesn't even beat or match the index. So, you know, no one, not everyone is going to be above average, you know, average means something. So they have, they have an argument on their side, but they also, you have to warn people and say, okay, that means you're going to be investing in an index that has some volatility and it's a, it can be a wild ride. So active managers oftentimes will be more successful at, at dampening that wild ride, even though they may be underperforming over a period of time, they in the end maybe over, will overperform or at least dampen the risk and make it uh, less volatile so that the person sticks with their plan. You know, a lot okay, of so let, let me kind of restate and ask if I'm, cl- if I'm clarifying what you just said. So oftentimes, and t- correct me if I misheard, so you said oftentimes the active investors aren't as smart as they necessarily thought they were, so they're not going to outperform the market. But if you're staying in the market, you're going to be much more risky and you could have much greater volatility. So if, you're, if you have a shorter time horizon, you should still go to the active advisor because they can hedge that risk rather than go to the passive advisor because you're going to still take on much more risk than you should be taking. Is that you correct? Know, I wouldn't say it quite as strongly as you did. You have to listen to, and, and, and my, one of my biggest things is you can't truly be a passive investor, right? And then that was to your point, you have to make a decision to say, okay, I'm going to put money into this mutual fund or this 401k plan. I'm going to start taking some money. And then I have to decide, I mean, the, the company will, uh, maybe they'll if they have a really good plan and provider, they'll have some uh, advisor type people come out and do a employee enrollment program and get all excited and say, you know, here's what's going on and let me describe the funds. And let's say the company, your company has uh, 10 different mutual fund type programs in your 401k. Well, okay, there's 10 of them. How do you choose? That's an active decision, right? Maybe the guy who, the person who's who's uh, doing the enrollment meeting is really resourceful and good and helping you, but they are not going to decide for you. They, you know, from a liability standpoint, they'll be saying, well, I'm not really, you know, I'm not your financial advisor. They'll, they'll do a disclaimer yeah. like we just did a little while ago. They'll say, we're, I'm not, a, I'm not that. And I'll try to tell you what, you know, this is an international fund and it has more risk and here's a money market fund and it has safer. Uh, they'll describe them for you, but then ultimately you still have to do some decision-making and even that, that, company who's putting together a passive index you know they're saying we're going to we're going to you know match the uh the S&P 500 we're going to match the um the Dow Jones Industrial Average they're still having to figure out okay um how do we match that best you know should we match it through you know derivatives how do we do we actually do do we actually go out and buy each one of those stocks in the perform in the percentages of the index so it's and and once you know maybe you're just buying one index and you're trying to match that, but more often than not, people are saying as a passive investor, you're saying, well, I'm going to have several indexes, right? I'll have a uh, a U.S. large cap index, and then I'll have a, a U.S. small cap index or a mid cap index, and then I'll have a international fund uh, that's an index. How much do you put in the international? How much do you put in the small cap? How much? So those waiting calls are active you have to make a decision so in one sense you can't truly be you know completely passive but the question is you know are you having someone who's doing you know individual stock picking which we often do and and you know we then that makes us more active we're picking 
specific companies versus uh, a collection of, of, you know, companies inside an index. Well, and so to follow up on that, so what led you to decide on the active strategy? So it is partly that going back to that issue of, you know, do, do we want our clients to be totally subject to the ride associated with a specific index? Or can, do we believe that we can dampen that risk or that volatility? And um, we have, I mean, a value person, and, and this goes back to the debate of value versus growth, but someone who's really going back and saying, well, we want to do some fundamental research and, and look at this as a business. You know, we're not looking at it as a poker chip or even an index. We're looking at this as an operating business. And would we want to be an owner of that business? Um, and what do we like about that business? What do we not like about this business? And, and then do we like the management? Is the management seem honest? And are they, are they good ethical people? And do they understand their own business? And then ultimately, you know, is it a price that we were willing to pay for that business? You know, if you're if you're doing the passive approach and buying indexes, you're not really doing any of that work. You're not saying, well, you know, I think the companies in the Dow Jones Industrial Average are overpriced or underpriced. You're you're just basically saying, I'll own them regardless. And uh, my thinking is uh, no. I, I can and enjoy and want to understand the companies I'm investing in, and and I want to I want to be able to say, well, do I think it's a decent price? Now, again, the whole efficient market hypothesis, and that's you know maybe a mouthful. That's academic ease, right? That's that's professor talk, but that's the term they use for um, you know sort of the wisdom of crowds or the the fact that you know. Um, you're not going to be able to outperform the market because generally when you have lots of people, lots of market participants trying to figure out if something's overpriced or underpriced, then they're going to come up with a pretty well-priced, you know, uh, a, a good price for every specific stock out there, or, or again, uh, a collection of stocks. Um, maybe any one of them might get, get it wrong, but in general, they will be, wise in the fact that they'll be saying this is generally what prices should be for this particular company or this particular index. Um, and my view is I, I, my experience over 35 years is that I've seen plenty of times where, you know, it isn't that efficient. The market isn't that efficient. You know, people start buying stuff. I mean, you know, the classic example that I use all the time, that's more historical, but you know, going back to the, you know, the long time, hundreds of years ago is, is when people were buying tulips and and paying you know more for a tulip than they were their their house, that was a bubble. Um, efficient market hypothesis kind of says, well, you can't have bubbles because you know this is what people think the values are. This is what the value of tulips are versus real estate, or this is the value of you know Amazon versus Apple, or this is the value of uh, John Deere tractors versus uh, international tractors. You know the and and so I've you know in my both study of history, as well as my thirty some thirty five plus years in doing this, I've seen plenty of times where, no, it just doesn't work out that the market's that efficient. But I also am very humble about you know the ability to really beat an index, and I think I think any active manager should should be very humble about it and recognize. And so we, I mean, to 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 answer your question further, we use both active approach. We do buy individual securities, and that by definition says you're going to. You know, you're you're thinking that individual security is better than uh, in an index that it might be a part of, uh, especially if you're weighting it differently. But we also use uh, several passive 
um, ETF vehicles, things that are much more uh, index-like. And it just depends on the asset class we're trying to trying to build a portfolio with. So, I mean, the 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 short answer is we use both active and passive. And I think most most money managers, um, no matter where they at, they're at with that that debate, uh, will come up with some some kind of a compromise there between them. Um, and as I said, I don't think they can help with that. They, they have to have some active decision-making. Is there a timing change? So I know there's market cycles. So is it is there a, a timing relation to when you should be an active investor or when you should be a passive investor? Or is changing your strategy like the worst thing you could do ever because you'll likely hit the bottom of both? You know that's that is a good question and a good point, and I think that's I think people should, you know, try to figure out um, what kind of style they are or that they're attracted to with regard to any money money manager or financial advisor they would hire, um, because if you keep switching strategies, then you're probably not you're going to get the worst of both. Um, so it does make sense to if you understand them, and at least understand and then trust the the person who's implementing them to stick with it through cycles because like you said you can get whipsawed by by a market cycle and but but i would say to answer your question further that um generally speaking um active management will probably do better in down markets when you have more volatility and you have the people panicking and bailing out of things um and selling without really understanding what they're selling or why they bought it in the first place then active management uh, professionalism probably does better than just hanging with a, an index in that, sh- at least that short term. Now, again, uh, over long time periods, you know, the indexes do well. And, and I, I would, I want to emphasize to people that it's really dangerous to say the market. Um, we do it, professionals do it, and lots of individuals and certainly the news media do, you know, how the market do today. And oftentimes they're referring to the stock market or the Dow Jones industrial average. but Every single asset out there, every single uh, stock has its own market. Um, there is, you know, there is a tendency for th- stocks in general to go up and down together, but they definitely don't if they're in different markets or different, uh, you know, different sizes, asset class, you know, uh, capitalization, geographic location. That's why we do carve up the market into, okay, international versus uh, U.S. or developed markets versus developing markets. Uh, large cap versus small cap, all that kind of thing. That's partly why academics have kind of carved up the market and identified different parts of it to be able to diversify because they don't act all the same. Yeah. Well, so should we be telling people to act? I don't know. I guess I was going to say if, because I feel sometimes we have this discussion with clients where you will say, well, I think that's a good market to be in, like a specific sector. But maybe I'm not the professional on that market. So maybe that's a good opportunity to be passive in a small way, to make the active decision to invest into that market, but to do it in an indexing way rather than, or not necessarily an indexing way, but in a mutual fund type way and have another money manager help you with that allocation rather than to say, I'm going to pick this company when I'm not certain that that's maybe the best company in that field. Yeah, and and that kind of brings us full circle to the whole point. I mean, if you know, if you know, if you have certainty, you know, <laughs> that your knowledge is just absolutely certain, 
then that can drive your behavior. You know, if I know, you know, uh, use a baseball analogy, if I know that, you know, I'm going to hit a home run right now, well, I should swing the bat, right? Um, If a person knows a specific stock is going to be the best one next year, over the course of the next year, they should put all of their wealth in that one place. So diversification and passivity is, and it's by default an, an admission that you don't know. So passivity is the more extreme version because it's saying, I don't know anything. I'm just, I'm going to go with some indexes, you know, and I'm not going to really make it too complicated. I'm going to, I'm going to keep my, that's another point we haven't brought up too much, but uh, you know, I mentioned that if you're trying to hire someone smart who has knowledge and at least acts like they, or thinks they might, or really does know more and they're going to outperform something or they're going to do better because of their, their brain power, their, their intelligence. Um, then they're going to want to be paid well. Um, you know, there's nothing more competitive than the financial services industry in Wall Street or or Wall Street types around the world. You know, you have you have literally uh, tens of thousands of people who wake up every morning saying, "I know, I know what's going to be good today," and they're, and they're all, you know, uh, oftentimes really really bright people, well educated and well paid, oftentimes well paid, and then there are people who maybe don't, but who aren't so smart or aren't so well-paid, um, but you have a very competitive environment. The passive person is saying, I don't want to pay all those people. They don't, they don't do any better than anyone else. So why should I pay them? Let me keep my costs low and just try to be, you know, settle in with the, you know, the market that I know over, over long periods of time will do pretty well. Um, but, but that whole idea of um, picking one thing, one specific stock versus going into a mutual fund to diversify. And, and like, like you mentioned, we, there, there are definitely parts of the market that we feel like we know better. And there are some parts of the market that we don't. And so when we don't, we try to hire, hire uh, someone who's more knowledgeable than we are and our clients expect that. Yeah. So to summarize a lot of what we've talked about today. So active management involves making buy and sell decisions about holding some in a portfolio but you really can't avoid the active management. So maybe you're buying into indexes. Maybe you're trying to invest into your 401k, your retirement accounts, your savings, but you have to decide what you're going to invest into. You have to decide how you're going to allocate those dollars, what you're going to do to take profits, cut losses. If you choose to buy lower, um, ideally buy low, sell high. Um, And then kind of following up, Passive management is the strategy where you're aiming for equal returns of an index. So maybe you've decided you can't beat the index, so maybe you want to join the index. The thought there is, okay, well, how do I find a way to maximize my returns? As Mike had already said, there's multiple different indexes. So you could be in the Dow, you could be in the S&P, you could have an index focused on a specific type of industry, maybe international. Um, It doesn't have to just be the big S&P or the big Dow. Like in any field, professionals are usually going to add value, but they're also going to add costs. If you're working with a professional, they're certainly going to beat a novice over time, but you have to assess what kind of value you're looking at versus the cost you're going to pay for that. A good financial advisor should be transparent about their experience and their skill set, along with their track record and their methods. So when you're working with someone, make sure you're kind of clarifying that information and what kind of costs or any kind of conflicts of interest you might have. 
We do want to thank our audience for listening to our podcast. Uh, just a quick reminder, we have a Terminology Tuesday that comes out in our social media each week. So look for those on the social media platforms. All, you can find all of our social media on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook, all those kinds of things uh, by looking for Altius Financial, all one word, and you'll see our, our logo. So again, we want to thank you for listening to us and please reach out, um, share both your reaction to our podcast and share the podcast themselves, have other people listening to us and absolutely feel free to make suggestions on topics. If there's anything you guys want to hear us hear uh, Taylor and I give our different perspectives about, or, um, you know, whether it's something like this in the area of uh, academic research about investing or something more topical that's happening in the news today, feel free to make a suggestion. Um, and we, we appreciate your uh, tuning in. Yeah. Thanks everyone. Have a great weekend.